City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. Okay, here we are through the smog and the all that. Well, actually it was yesterday, wasn't it? Uh, today was pretty good for a little bike ride across Melbourne, but here we are. It is City Limits. It's the first Wednesday of the month and therefore we're doing transport today and our regular transport commentator John McPherson will be on in the second half of the show or probably just before that. And the first half we're going to be talking to um, the new state member for Richmond um, and um, whose name is, is he going for, the, going for his note? Um, Gabriel DiPietro. Um, because tomorrow night the Greens, um, I got one in my letterbox from the local member uh, Tim Reid, but they're holding a renter's forum um, to talk about problems with renting and are you a renter? Well, not tomorrow, I'm sorry, tonight. That would mislead people. Tonight they're holding it in Collingwood. So we're just going to give a plug to that with her because she's one of the people organising that uh, that forum for renters to splint their their veen, so to speak, or whatever, the, whatever I'm trying to say, bent their spleen. That's what I'm trying to say, you idiot, Kevin. Um, so that's uh, that's that. But look, we're, we're going to go to our usual ritual of pouring the tea. But before so, we're going to set it up with a bit of music. So uh, for the next minute, we're going to play a bit of music at the start of the show, and then we'll have the ritual pouring of the tea. It's a very ancient saying, but a true and honest thought. That if you become a teacher, by your pupils you'll be taught. As a teacher I've been learning, you'll forgive me if I boast. And I've now become an expert on the subject I like most. Getting to know you. Getting to know you. About you, getting to like you, getting to hope you like me, getting to know you, putting it my way but nicely. You are precisely my cup of tea. There you are, precisely my cup of tea, and so we're going to now pour the tea. That's the, uh, that was the ritualistic start of the program. Anyone else want a cup of tea? Because Karina isn't here yet. I'm Kevin Healy, by the way. Uh, here somewhere, she'll come in breathlessly shortly explaining what's happened. Anyway, there's a bit of the pouring of the tea. Um, a couple of things I did want to talk about, um, says he, and I've just suddenly realised, hang on a moment, listen, whoops, we're going to have a bit of change here because I've just realised I uh, my reading glasses are actually uh, in my bag or somewhere here. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll, oh, I know where they are. They're in my pocket. Um, so I can actually read what I'm going to say. But one, one thing that uh, uh, I just wanted to talk about in Western Australia, because we've talked many times over the journey about the fact that mining companies uh, tend to go in and make all that money, then they just walk away. They put down a deposit at the start that never meets the cost of rehabilitation. They never rehabilitated properly themselves. And they uh, leave a mess behind. And it's happening in Western Australia where Alcoa 
um, and the, has failed to rehabilitate any of the almost 28,000 hectares of Western Australian forest that has cleared during 60 years of mining, despite repeatedly stating it has. And um, Jess Beckerling, director of not-for-profit conservation group WA Forest Alliance, said that apartments finding that there was a lack of any completed rehabilitation was a shocking indictment of Alcoa's attitude to the forest. The community is wisening up to this sort of cynical greenwashing and Alcoa's reputation and social licence to operate has taken a serious hit, she said. And Professor Kingsley Dixon, who's director of the ARC Centre for Mine Site Restoration at Curtin, he uh, made a number of points, but he said um, the growing backlog of rehabilitation was a concern, especially when it was not, not yet known whether the Jarrah Forest ecosystem could be reinstated satisfactorily. The unique ecosystem of the southwest of WA is already suffering from reduced rainfall due to climate change, and in 2022, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change concluded it could collapse due to hotter, drier conditions with more bushfires. And the company, of course, says it has done the job, but it's done the job technically within apparently the letter of the law, but not in terms of what people want, which is full rehabilitation and where it was in the first place. So just a, a classic case of, uh, of what they get try to get away with. Another case I thought interesting, given we've just had the robo-debt inquiry and we're getting young people locked up for blocking traffic and sentenced to jail, etc., um, the ex-head of Tesla in Australia, a bloke called Kurt Schlosser, uh, was found guilty last week on, of um, insider trading, and he got he got a inside he got a a, a a tip off on a lithium situation, and he tipped off a mate as well, bought the stock, sold it shortly after, and made twenty eight thousand eight hundred eighty three dollars profit, virtually overnight by insider trading, which even by the standards of capitalism is regarded as a crime, and. Um, he was sentenced to two years and six months prison, but then, then he was let out on a good behaviour bond for um, those two offences. And I thought, here's a, a, a business bloke who completely breaks the law, makes 28 grand and um, walks out free on two-year bond uh, when other people, um, in fact, committed suicide and things over much smaller or debts that didn't even exist. Uh, and were punished quite uh, quite dreadfully for it. So, uh, so I think he can well, he can't. You know, he's not lucky because that's what happens to all those people. But uh, I think it's well, no, we wouldn't suggest for one second there's a law for the rich and a law for the poor. But other than to say there's a law for the rich and a law for the poor. Um, but uh, that that that's it. Yes. And there's also a report come out about the justice system here in in Victoria. Anyway, the Justice Reform Initiative. Uh, report a report called the State of Incarceration Report, and it uh, it really gets stuck into the fact that we do lock up people who are, are poor and uh, and are under underprivileged and uh, all those things. Uh, just before we go to our first guest, I'm going to have a sip of tea. Actually, I've poured the bloody thing. I should drink, have a drink of it, shouldn't I? Mm. Oh, that's great radio, isn't it? Listening to me drink tea. Um, the uh, you, a bloke, a fo this is um, one of the things that it really is encouraging, isn't it? A former member of the US Navy's top brass says he hopes Australia would send its nuclear-powered submarines to support America if there is a war over Taiwan. 
which is all very good, except we've got to tell China to lie off for 30 years, of course, before it invades, because uh, the submarines won't be ready till then. Uh, and by the time they're ready, there'll be other weapons that'll blow them out of the water the second they get in there, and that'll be really good. So we'll see trillion, trillions of dollars blown up while we're spending, as we point out, I think we should say it every week, um, it's been calculated that the cost of those things is $38 million a day for 30 years, and that's a lot of money, and it could build a lot of um, very good things for our community if we put it into those things. Um, but on the other side of that, we know that many years ago, um, during when, the, when France was blowing up nuclear bombs in the Pacific, on in France, of course, because they regard that as France, those territories, uh, New Zealand took a very strong stand and uh, against nuclear weapons and against anything nuclear coming into their ports. And the the uh, then New Zealand Prime Minister um, he he um, he stood up to the Americans and said no and, and to the French. And, uh, and of course, we know they blew up a boat in uh, in New Zealand and killed people. Um, the French um, French spies. Uh, but it's very encouraging to know that even. A bloke um, who's um, Jerry Jerry Brownlee, who's the, um, the the shadow foreign affairs minister over there for the for the right wing party. I mean, Labor, the Labor Party is not that left wing, but it's, it's in government. But the right wing party, uh, he says he's he's concerned about our plan to acquire the nuclear weapons, and, will, and then he says he doubts that uh, AUKUS will make the or he says it will make the region, in fact, less safe and limit military cooperation between the two allies. And um, he said he was concerned AUKUS was painting China as an enemy that needed to be contained. He said New Zealand is a proud nuclear-free state that has formally declared its airspace and territorial waters as nuclear-free zones. Asked if the nuclear-powered submarine fleet would make the region safer, he said, no, I don't think it does. What I don't like is the concept that we just seem to be dividing the world. He said he was concerned Australia's nuclear-powered submarines would not be able to dock in New Zealand under its nuclear-free policy. We've only got one alliance that is with Australia. Our position is that we should remain an an interoperable with the Australians as we possibly can. I told you she'd come in breathlessly very shortly. Um, (laughs) So Karina has arrived. Uh, but uh, there we are. So New Zealand at least is standing up. And I noticed that in Port Kembla, the, the workers are saying they're going to turn May Day into an anti-AUKUS rally this year, which is very encouraging. So uh, there's a few things happening. Thanks a lot, by the way, for uh, sitting in and not saying anything. You said you didn't want to be asked a question, so you weren't. There you are. <laughs> but thanks. Karina, lovely to see you. with your. Uh... It's lovely to see you too, Kevin. Sorry yes. I'm late. Yes, we, most of us don't. To sit in the studio with our bike helmet on, but it's okay. You're welcome to. Protection. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. Look, we will go to our first guest, though, uh, pretty well straight away, Karina, so oh, we'll get cool. you to give her a call. Um, and we'll take a break and uh, and get our first guest on the line, who is going to be Gabrielle De Pietro, the member for Richmond. City Limits, 3CR Community Radio. Well, Hello, we are Dachem Rachem from Free Ukraine. And you're listening to Free CR Community Radio. Solidarity Breakfast, your Saturday morning serving of union and working news, current events, opinion and talkback. 
every Saturday, 7.30 till 9am, here on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. CR needs members to survive. By becoming a subscriber, you're helping us to remain fiercely independent and free of commercials and corporate influence. Are you a paid-up subscriber? It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation, and $300 solidarity. Great value for 24-7 community-owned and community-controlled media. Please become a subscriber member today. Call the station on 03-9419-8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're listening to 855 AM. Rightio, I should have mentioned before we go to Gabriel de Pietri, I should have mentioned that track we played, which was just a minute or so up to your cup of tea, so we, we led into it uh, from the King and I, but it wasn't the traditional version with um, Deborah Carr, who didn't actually sing it, of course, Marnie Nixon sang it, and, and you'll bring her. It's a London production with Julie Andrews doing that Well, That was Julie Andrews singing that with Ben Kingsley as the king in that particular production, so it's just interesting. Um, Gabriel de Pietri is the member for Richmond. The Greens are holding, I got one in my letterbox from Tim Reid, our local member there in, in Brunswick, and um, about are you a renter, join the Greens Renters Forum, and, and the rental crisis is out of control. There's a meeting tonight, that's why we got Gabriel on this morning, because it is tonight and we want to give it a plug. Uh, but Gabriel, why do you think we need this meeting? Oh, look, for too long renters have been absolutely struggling and feeling like it's their own personal failure. They're kind of in this, in a silo thinking that there's, you know, something wrong with them that they can't meet the rent. But actually, it's a problem that we've seen successive governments making decisions for property investors instead of renters. Um, rent is at an all-time high. There are less properties than ever on the rental market, and so it's never been so hard to rent as it is right now. Yeah, we, we do housing on the third Wednesday of every month on this program and for, for ages now we've talked about the fact that governments tend to talk always about affordable and social housing but the words public housing have just gone off the agenda and that's, that's a major problem, isn't it? very deliberate. This government has basically wiped their hands of public housing. Uh, um, they would rather we didn't know it existed. In fact, they've just demolished 1,700 units of public housing in a housing crisis and given that land away to private developers. So not only is the housing crisis going to get worse under this government because they're not investing in public housing, but they haven't rented have just gone under the political radar because they're not seen as a, you know, as a, as a force to do with. But we think that there is a lot of potential there for renters to come together, to collectivise and to show the public and to show the government that they are powerful and a force to be reckoned with and they are demanding changes. And, you know, I've only been in this seat for, what, three, four months now? Four months. And... 
I have heard from hundreds of renters about how hard it is right now to pay the rent, to find a rental, to get your to get basic standards in a rental home. You know, mold floors falling in, roofs leaking. Those kinds of things shouldn't be happening to be able to live in a comfortable house. Everyone should be able to have a secure roof over their heads. Um, and the government is just turning a blind eye. You know, in 2018, because of pressure from the Greens, the government brought in a few standards. So now you can have a house that has a lockable door. You can live with your cat. You can flush your toilet. Um, there are other things that, you know, that are quite going in a good direction, like um, an end to real estate agents asking for um, rental bids um, and a cap on the number of times that rent can be increased in a year. But they're just not enforced and they're just not going far enough. So renters are still struggling and it's going to get worse. Mm. Uh, on that situation, because one of our regular guests um, on this program is one of the people involved in, in the inquiries into those into changing those laws, and he, he says, of course, it's still got a long way to go. But mm. that point you raise, I mean, even though they've changed the law and there's certain things you can do, are people still afraid to take on the landlord because they might get kicked out? Absolutely. We're hearing from it all the time. They don't want to rock the boat because they don't want to get kicked out. There's very little protection for renters. Well, there, there are, in, on paper, protections for renters um, who get kicked out for no grounds. But in reality, if you want to get an urgent repair done that the landlord's not doing, or if you want to um, challenge an eviction, or if you want to challenge a rent increase, or get your bond back and the, and the landlord's not doing it, you've got sometimes a two- to three-year wait at VCAT. And for someone who has to put down a bond for their next place... You don't want to have to be going through a two to three year battle with your real estate agent or your or your landlord just to get your basic basic rights met. met. Mm. So the Greens are calling for a change to that system, a public housing ombudsman, and a review into the dispute system because it's just not working for renters. It's it's an abysmal system and it really needs to change. But importantly, we're calling for immediate action right now. For years, we've been calling for a cap on rent increases. Now we're calling for a rent freeze because the situation is just so bad for renters um, and the gap between what people are earning and what people are paying in rent is just so big that we need to put a stop to rent increases right now for two years. Yeah, and that's I mean, what we're going to be asking for. And that should be allied to the government getting back into building public housing itself, of course, or, or buying public housing <laughs> itself, just doing it. Absolutely. So we're also calling for a massive increase in public housing. So that's publicly owned, publicly operated, not this kind of, um, you know, dodgy privatisation process that the government's going mm. undergoing right now. Um, Hundred thousand new homes over the next ten years. We're also asking for the government to mandate that property developers pay for um, affordable housing. So that is that category, um, you know, for essential workers, for people who are not the, on the lowest incomes, um, which public housing should capture. And if we've got enough public housing, we've got people on all incomes in those um, tenancies pumping 25% back of, um, of their income back into the public housing system so that we can maintain and repair and upgrade and build more public housing. And on the, um, other, on the other side, of course, we've got both federal and some this government bill that's currently in dispute in, in Canberra, but also state government. They, everything they do seems to be pouring money into the private sector and thinking the market is going to solve these problems, but is it? 
That's right. It's, it's not going to solve those problems. So they've demolished those 1,700 public homes. They've given that land to private developers for a small amount of social housing, which is privately owned and operated. And the rest, they've filled out those that public land with private homes, thinking that if you just increase the supply, it's going to solve the problem magically. Well, we haven't seen that happening. We have plenty of homes available, but what we see is people buying up those properties their second, third or fourth property, maybe their 283rd property, as in some cases, and they're putting those properties on Airbnb because they can make sometimes double the amount on Airbnb um, that they can putting it on the private rental market. And it's just a world in which that gap grows and grows and grows between people who um, can afford to buy another investment property, those who can't even get a roof over their heads, those who can't even put food on the table, retired women living in cars, uh, families with school children living in tents. The situation is it should not be like this. We should be able to afford to have everyone in a, in a secure home. Okay, um, talk- so we're yeah. also calling for a cap on um, short stays. So um, regulating that industry like Airbnb so that someone can't just have, you know, an Airbnb on the market for weekends and, and holidays and have it sitting empty the rest of the year. So really crack down on, on that that part of the market as well so that it incentivises property owners to put those homes on the long-term rental market. All right. So we're talking to Gabrielle de Vietri, who's the um, member for Richmond. And, Gabrielle, tonight's meeting, what are the details then? So we're meeting at 30 at Everyday Coffee, which is on Sackville Street in Collingwood. Um, it's a forum where we're interested to hear from renters about their um, problems that they're facing um, and address the kind of the systemic problems that, that we see. Um, we want to hear from renters about what they'd like to see us fighting for. We've also got a bit of a strategy that we're going to reveal tonight of how we're going to collectivise and mobilise and put pressure on the government to freeze rent. Okay, and uh, you mentioned address, um, but a different sort of address where the actual address of Sackville Street is 36 to 38. Uh, Thank you very much. Cover. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Otherwise, it's people will be marching accessible. up and down Sackville Street looking for it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 36 um, to 38 Sackville Street uh, tonight. So we urge people to get there, particularly people who do rent and are concerned about it. But um, congratulations for calling it, and let's hope it's successful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's all right. Thanks, Gabriel. Gabriel de Beatry is the member for Richmond, and um, that meeting is tonight. So we urge people who are concerned about those issues to get along. 36 to 38 Sackville Street. Collingwood, it's everyday coffee, it's called the place. Okay, so we'll take a break, come back, and we're going to talk to John McPherson about transport. Would you like to reduce your risk of dementia? The Better Brains trial aims to discover whether targeted lifestyle changes can prevent memory decline in Australian adults. Participants aged 40 to 70 with a family history of dementia are allocated to receive health coaching from an allied health professional or health education materials about dementia and its risk factors. The trial is run entirely online, so visit www.betterbrains.org.au to sign up now. Better Brains is a 3CR supporter.
Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers since 1976. Okay, on the line we have John. But, but John, before we go to that, I'm, I, I, even though Karina was late this morning, I promised her yesterday I had a present for her, and in fact, it's absolutely no expense spared present. She said she thought she knew what it was. Do you know what it is? I don't know. I, I, I feel like it takes the form of some kind of newspaper clipping. Yes, all exactly. right, all right. There is it are. football related? I know the football media there is. You Just open it up and you'll find out. Move. Oh. Yeah, that's it. It's it. I knew it would be this, Kevin. <laughs> it's the it's the Bulldogs footy team, John. It's, it was oh, okay. It was in the centre of the Herald Sun. That's oh. why there's no expense spared. Thank you. That's perfect. I never would have gotten it myself. Let's be real. <laughs> um, okay, John. Anyway, let's get down to sensible things, John. The um, <laughs> the uh, transport. Did you have anything you wanted to say? I've got a few items I wanted to raise today. But anything you wanted to raise before we got there, John? No, let's let's head, let's go with your agenda, Kevin. I think it's probably more comprehensive. <laughs> okay. Well, look. One one thing is that the the South Australian government and he's I don't he stand on the on the AUKUS thing. It's pretty awful. He wants to build the submarines but not take the nuclear waste. He's which pretty good could stand. But nonetheless, he in the election leading up to um up to becoming government, he promised that he would re-nationalise um the the train and tram system in. Mm. Um, in South Australia, and he's now doing it. He's taking back um, Keolis Downer is the company that um, that ran the system, and they they um, they also run ours. They're Yarra Trams down here in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to hand back the control of the services by next by January 2025. So we're still giving them a break. Uh, and the government's going to take it over again. And the government seems to think that's a much smarter way of doing things. Um, your comment on this? That uh, yeah, well, well, according to something I read, the um, the estimate when the system was privatised, you know, by the last Liberal government was that oh yes, they're going to save a lot of money because of the the brilliance of private private uh, operations, and um, it was going to be 150 million dollars a year or something they're going to save. But according to the, the Labor government, they've done a study since they came into power, and they say well. Well, no, that's quite wrong. They're losing around about $150 million more by having public, uh, sorry, private hands because the, um, uh, because, you know, the brilliance of uh, private operation isn't working. So that's, that's one of the reasons why the, um, the state government wants to bring it back under their own control, that they'll do a better job. And they've also avoided, I mean, we, we know in these things, governments usually pay millions when they break contracts because yeah. the contract was going a long way. 
but mm. they've got around that. It's interesting, Carlos Downer decided against trying to pursue a $94 million contract termination fee, which was a clause in the original terms of the agreement, after Moen Askers, who's the Premier, of course, and Transport Minister Tom Koutsantonis, yeah. um, warned in negotiations they would use parliamentary legislation to scrap the contract without paying anything. And... Um, Kaola Downer was awarded an extra three years of a train maintenance contract um, as some sort of compensation, but yeah. uh, they've avoided even paying. Whereas with the French submarines and things and everything else, we seem to pay fortunes that other governments. I know. Uh, I know. What what is it that, that, that the South Australians have got in the way of negotiating ability that, that certainly the Victorian government doesn't seem to ever have? Um, it, yeah, very. It's very interesting. Um, perhaps perhaps all the profits really were in the maintenance contract. So by leaving them with the maintenance contract, they feel like they'll do. This is Dan Akiola, so they'll do just fine. Uh, yeah. Bit, well, bit, mayhaps, uh, yeah. That's that. Yeah. Bit. But yeah, certainly but the government is claiming that it can save a lot of money by running it itself. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. Which brings us back to Victoria because mm. um, we've got our Yarra trams with the same company contract uh, expires um expires next year, I think, and uh, in fact, uh-huh. December, it expires in December, December next year, but the state says it's um, it's already, it's going to put out the contract soon to tender, mm-hmm. uh, and Keolis down and said it would uh, re-contract for it, but, um, or re-tender for it, uh, but again, the state isn't talking about doing anything but giving it to some private company, which... Mm, mm. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting, it's... Um um, well, certainly the Victorian, you know, transport bureaucracy behaves as if it doesn't know what it's doing. So perhaps the government, the government thinks, well, we'll cut our losses and we'll get some, you know, some um, benefit out of having p- private operators because they do do know what they're doing a bit, maybe better than better than our own people. But of course, that's. You know, part of the the thing that goes on over time, as you do privatise more and more things, you white-hand the abilities of your own bureaucracy to run things, and you're left with a bureaucracy with no no um, no no experience and no skills, and yet that bureaucracy is still supposed to supervise the operation of the private operator. You know, um, but of course. You know, by definition, you're losing the skills to to supervise. So, over time, the private operator can do more and more what they like with 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 no blowback. Well, Metro the rail system with Metro Trains, the the Auditor General recently came down with a scathing report saying they no one knew what yeah. anyone was doing, basically. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, a spokesman for the department. I'll come back to more detail on this, but a spokesman yeah. for the department said the contract had robust measures to ensure assets were maintained efficiently and safely with uh, with minimal disruptions. We worked very closely with Metro Trains as the operator of our metropolitan train network to ensure our network is maintained and run in a way that ensures safe and reliable journeys. And I would have thought, if that's the case, why don't we just do that ourselves and run it ourselves? Mm, mm, mm. Well, that's that's the thing. And, and I'd say that's a, that's a large part of the, of the argument that South Australia's used to, to take it back. Um, but of course, you know, all that is just boilerplate, as they say. You know, you, they would say that, wouldn't they? You know, 
They've got to say, oh, yes, we're doing all this stuff and we're supervising how carefully and blah, 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 blah. I'm afraid it doesn't mean, really mean they are supervising carefully or anything like it. It's They're just going through the motions a lot of the time, and I'm going to have to cough, sorry. Okay, well, John's got a cold, which would warn people. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell. <laughs> Laugh over his coughing yeah. and misery. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing worse, is there? I know a couple of times recently recording the week that was, I've uh, halfway through, I want to cough, and it's an awful feeling. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've got a mute button. I hope I... Many, oh, yeah. Anyhow, here we are. We heard, we but, did hear a cough, but you, you proved oh, okay. you had a cold anyway. Oh, good, um, yeah. <laughs> just on that last yeah. point we made, um, sure. you made I'll come and get, I want to come back to the detail of this report by the Auditor General, but yep. um, the Department of Transport and Planning Secretary Paul Eunice said, I told the Auditor General's office its report does not reflect the strength and maturity of the contract with Metro, but he accepted mm-hmm. all recommendations. Um, what's that mean? Yeah. Well, strength and maturity to me means... Um, We've got a lovely relationship, you know. We we tell them what we want them to do, and they say yes, we'll do it, and then go, and then probably go ahead and do exactly what they want to do anyhow. That that, mm. that you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being cynical, but that's that seems seems to be to me how how these things end up evolving. That the the private operator, you know, who often come from big consortiums that have um, experience with running systems all over the world. They can bring in expertise, but they can also bring in managerial experience. It means that they're very good at managing government government uh, authorities that are supposed to be um, managing them, you know. Do you get, get what I'm saying there? Oh, yeah. Speaking of yeah. which, um, I've come across a group which I was unfamiliar with before. Have you ever heard of... The No Third Tuller Runway Coalition. No, I don't think they have. Yeah, so basically it's, uh, in this article it says a coalition of stakeholders, but it seems right. to me like they're residents in conjunction with Brimbank Council yeah. um, who are opposing the owners of the Melbourne airport in building yep. the third uh, runway at Tullamarine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they cite things like aircraft noise beyond the WHO's recommendations, um, and calling on the federal government to kind of lower down the level of aircraft noise, compensate people in in the areas that are yeah. affected by the noise and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it seems to me like a similar thing. And also something that last, last week, uh, last week, last transport show kind of reminded me of because um, I remember you were having a discussion about how uh, a pollution – from from transport is uh, shown to be uh, you know more deadly than than collisions. Uh, yeah, yeah, more deadly for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thinking about the health. Um, you know, it's one point nine billion dollars that the owners APAM, I think the acronym is. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just wondering if you had any thoughts on that one. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's to me it's. A bit surprising that they really um, are already are pushing a third runway. Anyhow, mm. uh, um, it's amazing how much capacity you can get out of out of existing infrastructure and airports if you have to. Um, 
and at least even if the, there were more planes landing, they would be concentrated, on, you know, in the current corridors uh, rather than rather than spreading the spreading the noise over larger larger areas. Um, but um, of course, you know, in a carbon constrained future, what are we doing? Increasing airport capacity anyhow? Shouldn't we be, um, you know? For our for endless economic expansion, is it? Yeah, but you know, why shouldn't? Why aren't we? Trans, you know, developing transport systems that use less carbon. You know, mm. it's going to be quite a while before you know aviation starts using less carbon, as far as anybody can see. Mm. And and yet we're just you know going ahead with the heroic, the heroic. You know, let's 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 expand everything and you know do everything the easy way. If you look at the um, proportion of the planes, um, you know, coming to, coming to Melbourne Airport, uh, if you put in a high speed train line to Canberra and Sydney, you would you would take a re- remarkably large proportion of the planes away mm. if, if people instead were travelling by high speed electrified train, which can run very easily on on um, you know. Renewable electricity um, that would make a big, big difference to the um, to the uh, airport um, number of planes landing at the airport just for starters. So you know these things tend to in Australia just tend to grind on and just being done in the most you know obvious way, not not the most planned way. Mm. Yeah, and we've made the point a few times. Of course, you you know you've got to get there an hour before. You've mm. got to get to the airport. You've got to get mm-hmm. from the airport to the other end. Um, That's right. to wait for your luggage in the first place, which may That's not right. may or may not be there anyway. Um, yep. And yep. Um, yep. Uh, and in fact, of course, with a train, you you go from centre of city to centre of city. So for business people, it, it makes so much more sense if it, if it's yeah, a well, fast it does, train. It, well, it does. It does pretty much. It does for anyone really. Yeah, because of the overall air trip. Is about three hours, so we say, from leaving, say, leaving one CBD to arriving in the other CBD. It's at least three hours. Mm. I mean, these days, say, the, the planes allowed an hour and twenty, an hour and a half um, to do the actual flying. And as you say, you're supposed to be there an hour before, and then you know, <clears throat> you probably have to allow yourself three quarters of an hour to get from the city. It get yeah. And the, the train is the train would be usable time because you you're in a more spacious seat you can have good Wi-Fi blah 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 yeah it would seem to, to folks like us you know the high speed train would seem like a um, you know a better idea than another runway at Melbourne Airport let's let's face it <laughs> yeah, yeah I must say I don't fly enough to know to to speculate on how much faster it would make the trip. Just a note before we move on as well, that uh, no third teller runway, so that's yeah. one word, and the three is a is a number three coalition. Right. Um, if listeners are interested, have scheduled a meeting for Saturday, April 15th, in Keelor at the Old Shire Hall, um, and you can search them up online uh, to discuss the way forward. Yeah, and... In fact, we had a, we interviewed someone from that coalition a while ago, and mm. and when a week later we discovered that uh, 
the the figures the figures they give for the projected right um, noise levels that would be created were totally wrong in the first place. And you know, they're, they're right, even giving yeah. out false figures in terms of uh, justifying what they want to do. Well, well, there's a reasonable reasonably frequently about a year and a half ago, and a new runway opened at the Brisbane Airport, and um, the, uh, the 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 people. You know, across a large swathe of Brisbane, discovered that they'd been um, basically fibbed, lied to about the um, the noise they were going to experience, mm. and there was a huge eruption there. And I don't know if anything really has been fixed since, but the governments, the previous um, coalition federal government, and I don't know what this government's doing, but were um, promising to try and um, improve things. Uh, but it was sim- something similar. The um, the noise profiles were discovered to be quite wrong. Yeah, yes. good luck. Um, the I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that Auditor General's thing in a minute, mm. but also Karina said something that reminded me. There's a case at the moment where a woman's been charged with um, knocking over a pedestrian getting onto a tram. I don't know if you've mm. seen yes. this case. Um, and she... She just she she continued. She yeah you know, was a hit and run, but she mm. she ended up a couple of hours later turning herself in. But she's been charged now with mm. various driving offences. But uh, I notice in the case that a fence council's trying to pin the blame on the tram driver, which is pretty strange. Yeah, well, I I, I did read read about that, um, it, and it's true with with um, I think it's all all of the trams that are operating at the moment, even the older ones now. The, the driver cannot open the doors until the tram has actually stopped, because mm. her her um, I think her barrister was trying to claim that um, he the, should the, have he should have seen the car coming and not open the doors, but she's well, but, yeah, but that's ridiculous too. But but uh, he's I think he's claiming that you know, that somehow or other the doors are open, so the person who got hit, you know, had popped up, popped out of the, the tram. Um, while it was mis- while it was still moving, well, she was getting on the tram. She was coming off the footpath, I think, wasn't she? Oh, she was. I beg your pardon. The other way around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, uh, you know, it, 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 in some ways, it's not surprising if she stepped stepped off off the footpath a little bit before the tram actually stopped, because you do tend to do that, especially you know, especially if you think, oh, that car's quite a long way away, it must know what's happening. But the woman in the car was claiming she was on some sort of um, Tesla, Tesla electric car, automatic um, driving. I think that, that that the car was driving itself, or, or at least uh, you know, to a large degree, driving itself. So the car should have been charged. Yeah, or so Tesla to speak. should have been charged. But absolutely, everybody. Suppose, but but uh, mm. that's beside the point. Yeah. No, well, it, perhaps. But I mean, it's quite quite likely if you take that logic that Tesla wouldn't. Had programmed in special um, special arrangements for Melbourne's public transport. You know, with lots of trams stopping in the middle of the street. Anyway, we'll see. But I mean, I shouldn't be laughing because it's you know it's a serious serious thing. Yeah, and really, people really that is one of the issues with with the Teslas, particularly that they that that they've sort of told the people driving their cars that you know they can pretty much sit back and let the car do the driving. You know. 
Yeah, uh, well, we'll see what happens there. But it's uh, just found it interesting they were trying to blame the driver. That's all. Yeah, um, yeah. But oh, yeah. back to that Auditor General's report. Sure, um, sure. Two point seven billion of the money that Vetro Trains Cop is supposed to go to maintaining and keeping up the system, and the yep. Auditor General says the government has no idea. Mm. What that uh, what that money is doing, or whether it's um, whether it provides value for money at all, mm. and it may he makes the point. Um, or well, he said that a department did not know if the contract provided value for money. It has been extended for an extra eighteen months, despite that, and the department did not have a long term strategy for infrastructure such as tracks and signals or technology assets such as systems providing passenger information. In particular, he found a significant backlog in, in um, renewing obsolete technology such as operational control and management systems. The department mm. did not know the size of the backlog or why Metro had spent only 68% of the planned budget by 2021-22. These are things you've talked about for a long time, John. Mm. Yep. Well, that's the thing. You've got to keep, you've got to keep rolling over your maintenance on, 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 a, on a system like this, and you've got to assume... That you can't just wait till things break. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to have an ongoing repairs, you know, arrangement so that everything gets at least checked and confirmed to be working properly um, on a very regular basis. Um, I mean, if you listen to the reports on what's happening on the system, numerous times per week, something will fail. Usually, at a junction where, where the where the trains diverge from each other onto different lines, something will fail, and there'll be suddenly all the trains going through that junction or running ten minutes late because they've had to bring in some sort of hand, hand, um, you know, physical system of changing the points for heaven's sake. Those sort of things happen all the time, and it never seems to get any better. It never seems to improve. That sort of statistic. Um, so there's a lot more than just maintaining the rolling stock itself. You know, there's so many other systems that are quite, quite, you know, very complex. Um, and 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 you know, so the best systems have everything backed up. Um, this is overseas. I'm talking about places like Japan, and they have a secondary system that, of control that everything can step back to if things go wrong. So that there is only a small, um, a small, you know, break in the in operation. But but those sort of things don't seem to happen here. Um, yeah, it's just it's just it just is seems to be a um, you know grinding along at a, at a at a not very good good level with no attempt to ever actually improve things. Yeah, well, the Auditor General also said um, yeah. that um, without this information, the uh, yeah. department can't fully understand the risk to the network and to its future asset funding needs. It also mm. cannot make sure that Metro is managing those risks effectively. And mm. it said Metro knew control and monitoring systems were obsolete by 2019, but the technology yeah. is not expected to be renewed until July next year. Yeah. But then Metro blamed slow progress on a lack of experienced staff. Well, if they're getting all that money, well, aren't they supposed <laughs> to cover that? Yeah, well, well, you would have thought so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's just um, 
you know, surely the the, the private operators sh- should be able to find good quality staff from overseas because they're connected to these other bigger entities, you know, like Keolis, but apparently that's not happening. Um, um, you know, then now we've got the state government, you know, have got their, their, their suburban rail loop thing. That's their big fantasy project. And it, and it seems that, that, that they're going, the state government's going to lose interest in the, in the, the legacy you know, the legacy system we've got now and get all fascinated by its big suburban loop system. Well, you just can't do that. You just can't let the legacy stuff grind to a halt. You have to keep maintaining that and making that work better because, the you know, the majority of patronage is still going to be on the legacy system, not on the suburban loop system. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cough again. <laughs> okay. I'll just have a sip of tea again and make radio really go go riotous. Well, while everyone's busy, <laughs> Here I, am. I did. Hi, John. I did also want to bring up another one, and it's a little bit off topic as well. Um, in yep. regards to the Westgate project, which has been a little bit oh, of a yeah. shamozzle from from go to woe, really. Um, there was an article that the ABC published about a week or so after our last transport show, uh, <laughs> talking about now the the. Westgate Tunnel, like, bike pathway that they wanted to build. Yeah. I'm uh, not sure if you saw that one. The plan is to build, like, an elevated 2.5K pathway. And a lot of women cyclists have spoken out saying that women weren't really consulted in the process of designing this cycleway and that it will make it harder to escape, that women won't, won't want to cycle anywhere. Mm. And that because it's enclosed in a cage for a lot of that, um, they're, they're calling for a rethink on it. Uh, right. The Velo way, they're calling it. I don't know oh, if you yes, had any that, comments that, on that, that one. Yeah, they can manage to find cute names for these things. Yeah, that's that's their first first priority. Slap Look, some I'm, bright I'm green sorry, paint I'm on it. Another cough coming. That's all right. So one of the figures in the article was discussing how uh, 77% of women were interested in riding a bike when surveyed, uh, but only about 14% of women and girls actually ride um, compared to like 23, 25% of men. Um, And that that this kind of poor infrastructure will further discourage people. Well, it's it's so it's sort of up in the air and narrow, and there's no way to escape if you you're sort of caught on it. Is that that's it that's inside a cage? It, and yeah. they say there's CCTV yeah. and that mm. that will solve the world's problems oh, and right, that it's okay. lit up and yeah. Right, yeah, big help. Two point five k's. Yeah, uh, yes. Well, it does sound like a. It does sound like it's um, frightening. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid. Sorry to say say that, but I think that's that's right. It's, uh, I think as a woman cyclist, I just wanted to yeah. note also for listeners, yep. like there, there's always a trade-off, especially when you're riding late at night. There's always a trade-off between um, do I use my bike lights and go on a well-lit street where, you know, if something does happen, someone will pass by, or is it better off slinking in the shadows, turning my lights off? Yeah. Not that I would encourage that at all, and going through dark back streets. Like, which one is safer? And there actually yeah. is no answer to that. Sure, mm. no, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, we got oh five minutes yes. to go. I was wondering, Kevin, if you had any more items on oh, your agenda. Just, there were a few, of course, today, but nonetheless, I, just in passing, John, I think you, they can pull their finger out when they want to. They provided yeah. 2,300 extra tram services to get people to the bloody Grand Prix last weekend. <laughs> and I wonder how they, how many services they took off other routes. Well, that's that's, that's exactly. in, uh, in order to supply that. Yeah, yeah, complete chaos. But uh, there is one positive note. We did mention it last month, but that um, the the maximum fare or the general fare now on V line trains mm. all over the state is just nine twenty and four sixty concession return. Now that. That's much cheaper than I think it was seventy dollars from Bendigo before this. So down to nine sixty yeah, twenty. Yeah, amazing. It is cheap, a positive yeah. that, that um, at least you can get on a V line service pretty cheaply, relatively cheaply. Yeah, well, it's a, it's amazing. It's an amazing drop in in costs. Um, uh, um, but it'll take a while, I think, for patronage to really ramp up because people will take time to to learn about it. Mm. Uh, there won't be a lot of publicity, I doubt it. You know, they, they're very bad at publicising anything they anything they do, any improvement they make. Um, but the, the pressure that will be applied by the increased patronage, I, th- in, I think, is a good thing. Um, it should lead to um, the government feeling they've got to do more more to improve the system overall, which means, you know increase the frequency of services, which are, you know, are, are certainly a lot better than they were a few years ago. Uh, but they'll have to make the trains bigger, we hope. Um, yeah, so so generally it's a good thing. The, the proportion of the um, income for public transport that came from the um, fare box is um, interesting. I think I think this is very much pulling a figure out of the air, somewhere around about thirty or forty percent mm. of the costs are from the fare box. So that's going to drop, um, even if there's a big increase in uh, patronage. I, I would imagine that'll still drop, uh, but, but um, at least it'll be possible to say there. You know, there is a viable option, alternative to driving the car. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, you'd make up for that in terms of the the, the pollution and the environmental benefits of that's if right. people well, don't use so. their yeah. car. So yeah, yeah, and and not to, and also the health benefits because there's more more chance of an accident if you're on a car than in a car than yeah. on a train. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so it'll be, it's an interesting experiment. It's happening in other states too, I think. Similar, similar, uh, similar things. It'll Is it? Certainly I happened overseas. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that, but yeah, that's good then. Uh, yeah. Some somewhere yeah. like Luxembourg, which apparently is a very wealthy little mini state, they've made all public transport free there. So the whole the whole country's now free. So I haven't seen a report about how it's going, but but um, yeah. John, in 30 seconds, because they've, um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the domain road tram hasn't run uh, yeah. since they were building the mm. um, the railway station yep. nearby, yep. but now there's a debate, do they go back there or not? Uh, quick view on that. Uh, I think there's a good case for, for, for retaining the, the line going all the way along um, Turak Road to, to, uh, to hitting uh, St Kilda Road, yeah, not going around the dog leg into domain road. 
Right. Okay, that's, um, you handled that beautifully in 30 seconds. <laughs> Time's up. We'll let you go back and uh, and, and cop away right. privately. Um, yeah, sorry. The, the, given, yeah, your, okay. given your condition, thanks for your time this morning, John. <laughs> okay, cheers, everybody. Okay, we'll talk thanks, to you next John. month. Right and next week, of course, is energy. And um, I was actually thinking of uh, getting someone on about that runway issue next week. So oh, yeah. great minds. Yeah, that's right. Uh, stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio. This has been City Limits. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.